by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the, the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Now, that was the scripture that Pastor David Vincent started with last week, as you remember, and I'm going to kind of piggyback on some things. He said, I'm, in fact, I'm going to talk about the story that he told about Joseph. But this is the scripture he started with, and he said, we were surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, those who have gone on before us and, and are cheering us on. And then we have a race. If you re- go on and read it, it says, we have a race to run. And we need people to cheer us on. When I was a kid, I didn't know God, but I knew that. I knew I needed people to cheer me on because if I was shooting basketball by myself as a kid or something, I was making crowd noises. <sighs> I was in the NBA Finals, man. I didn't just shoot free throws. I, I, I was on the line, you know, one point down with two shots and the ball in my hand. Any other, any other you boys do that when you was little? If I was throwing football to myself, I was Roger Staubach, man. <sighs> crowd noises. I dived into the end zone, man. I had a huge crowd of witnesses everywhere I went. I wanted somebody to see what I was doing. <laughs> Now, there's this one story I often tell, and you say, I know, I probably heard it, but it bears repeating. It's a good story. I love it. Was when I had my Honda XR75 motorcycle. Now, it wasn't much bigger than like a mini bike, you know, but it would get up around 50 miles an hour if you, depending on how much you weighed, you know, and you gave it all it would go, you know. And, and so one day I was out past my, my Papa's barn in Shaw, Mississippi, on this little dirt road, and I had set up a plywood ramp and put it up on a 55-gallon drum and laid it up on there, you know, and made me a ramp. And I was, I was considering myself evil Knievel. You know, he was big back in those days. And so I was riding that motorcycle up and down like evil Knievel, expecting the ramp. I'd ride it up the ramp and sit there and look like I was looking over 50 cars or something, you know. Then I'd back down, and in my mind, it was just, it was, the auditorium was packed. <laughs> you know, I was out in the middle of the country. The only person there was my little brother, Heath. He was six years old. He had little silver front teeth and blonde hair, just watching. And all he would say is, let me try, let me try. Boy, you crazy. You're six years old. You ain't getting on my motorcycle. I was 12. And so... I'm driving around, I'm trying to make all this to-do and fuss, and in my mind, I'm building tension to all this great crowd. And so finally, when I could think of no other suspense builders, I got down and, and, and got ready to go, and, and I gave one last wave to the crowd. Little Heath waved back. <laughs> and I flipped the lid down on my helmet, 
And I said, and I let off that clutch and I put it off real slow. Hey, I was scared. It was my first jump, you know. I was doing about 10 miles an hour when I hit that ramp. And I barely made it over and I come off the other side. And, but it was enough for me and I threw that motorcycle down and I did like that and raised my hands. Little old Heath, he come running over. I thought I'm his hero. He said, my turn, my turn. I said, boy, you too little. You're six years old. I ain't letting you get on my motorcycle. And so as the day went on, I probably got like 20 or 30 jumps under my belt, you know. And I was actually jumping three or four foot before it was over with, you know, off the back end of that ramp. And things started getting a little boring. I got used to it. And Heath kept saying, me, my turn, my turn. And I said, all right, I'm going to let you. Because I was concerned about his safety, you know, I put, him, put my helmet on him, and I gave him strict instructions. Keep it in first gear. I don't know if it was so much that I was worried about his safety. He was six. But I didn't want him beating my records over here, you know, the, my jumping records. So I told him, keep it in first gear. Now, the first indication that he wasn't listening is when he went plumb around the house to start his approach. I said, what is that boy doing? And then I heard him coming. And he was winding it out in every gear. Wang, wang, wang. I saw him and I started flagging my arm. And I said, I got to get out the way. And the boy come through there. He was doing at least 50. He was doing, he was sideways coming at that ramp like this. Whoa, 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 whoa. And I ain't, I don't know what the, the backyard jumping motorcycle world record is, Guinness Book of World Record is, but I know in my heart that I was the lone witness to it that day. He hit that ramp with everything that little motorcycle would do, and he set that record on the way up, my friends. He jumped over, he jumped clean over the whole backyard. And then he hit the ground. He had to come down. He hit the ground so hard that his poor little feet came off the pegs. And they started flapping around in the back of the motorcycle like this. And he was holding on, you know. And that knobby back tire was working his business over something fierce. Blah, 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 blah. He made it all the way across the rest of the yard. But then he hit a, a field that was plowed with fresh rows. And every time he'd hit a row, he would squeeze that throttle, and he'd make him go over and wang it. And he worked out across that field about 50 yards before he finally bogged down and hit the ground. So I run out there, concerned for his safety, and I flipped him over, and we lifted his lid. He said, your turn. But he was all right. <laughs> What's the story of your life? You know, we all got different personalities. Maybe you started out in life, you was put, put, putting up to the ramp. You was cautious, you know. You was scared to jump way out there. You was making sure that you had firm footing underneath you. But some of y'all, <laughs> whack, whack, you hit life running. <laughs> You was doing 150 when you come around the corner, and you jumped straight off in the left field, most of us. Didn't know where we was going, but we wanted to get there quick. What's life supposed to be about? How are you, how are you supposed to start? How are you supposed to endure? And how are you going to finish? What's your game plan? Do you know which ramp you're supposed to hit? 
what are we supposed to be doing anyway? Well, thank goodness we know where to look now for the answers. We're going to try to look in the Word of God today to find out basically what is the meaning of our life. Do you believe there's a plan at all? A purpose? We're starting a new series that's entitled, It's What We Do. I don't mean it's what we do, we start a new series. We do, but I mean the series is entitled, It's What We Do. And today is part one. If you're filling out on your sheets, the little blanks, today's message is entitled, God's Interpretation. Last week, Pastor David told the story of Joseph, a very rich story in the Bible found in Genesis 37, beginning there. We see that Joseph, as a young man, he had a dream. We, we see from later in Scripture that it was a God-given dream. God gave him a dream and told him some things. Try to head him in the right direction, get him heading towards the right ramp. But I got to thinking about it last night, and I researched it again, and I read the story again. You know, Joseph, when he told his brothers his dream, he doesn't mention that it's a God dream. He just said, I had a dream. And when he, because the dream was that his brothers would all bow down to him, right? Of course, that didn't go over well with his big brothers. And then it, the second dream he had was that his brothers and his mother and father would all bow down to him. That didn't go over very well either. But in neither case did he say, God gave me a dream. He just saw it as a dream. Maybe that's the case. Maybe God spoke to you early in life, and you had a dream, and you kind of was excited about it, but you never knew it was a God dream. See, Joseph, I think he was more excited about them bowing down to him. Maybe you were too. Maybe you thought, well, if I get rich enough in my life, they'll all have to bow down to me. Or maybe your thing was fame. I want to be famous. I kind of wanted to be famous because I had all those crowds, you know. I wanted to be famous. And I thought they would all bow down to me. I mean, I, mean, I didn't think that they was going to bow down to me, but our human pride kind of likes the idea of people bowing down to us. You get rich enough, you get famous enough, you get powerful enough. Politicians, they want people to bow down to them. It's something about human pride. We think life is about people bowing down to us. It's about living your life in a way that people just see how wonderful we are. And so that we get all the attention, we get all the glory. And now, I believe it's common. I believe it's every kid wants to grow up and be famous, or every kid wants to grow up and do something where people basically bow down. But the bad news is, when we start out in human pride, we're headed for a pit. See, he no sooner got the dream out of his mouth that his dad sent him after his brothers, and they threw him in a pit. See, human pride will always lead you to a pit. Or you'll find yourself in shackles, walking behind some slave trader's wagon. You know what I'm saying? Or there's, I can see a dungeon in your future. That's where pride 
leads. Now, I can testify as a fact that my whole life has been a humbling process. Because I don't know where I got it, but they told me early on that we Sheffields were supposed to have some kind of sense of what that meant. Maybe your family has, hey, we're, we're Adams or we're Barnes or we're Greens or whatever, and you're supposed to be something. And I had a lot of work. I went through a lot of pits. <laughs> I went through a lot of shackles because of my human pride. Joseph was just like most of us. He was learning things the hard way. It took me 32 years to even get to the place where I said, you know, my plan ain't working so good. I have made a mess of my life. There's got to be more. And really, I was so frustrated, I didn't even see a purpose in living. If that's all it is, is, it, is my desire to make people bow down and they won't bow, and ain't nobody going to bow to you. then my, my plans wasn't working so well. I was 32 years old before I finally began to say, hey, maybe the dreams that I have in my heart, maybe this desire that God gave me, he gives us all a desire to be a warrior, to do great things. It's not wrong to want to do great things. It's just your reasoning behind it. All of you want to do spectacular things. You didn't dream about I want to dig ditches when I get back. I want to be a fireman. I want to go to the moon. I want to do this. I, I want to be wearing a yellow jumpsuit down at the Soto County when I get big. That was nobody's dream. It took me 32 years to come to a place where I began to re let God reinterpret these longings that I had in my heart. What am I really here for? What should, what, should, what should my main motives really be? It ain't about people bowing down to me. It ain't about me at all. You see, God's dreams will always have God's purposes weaved into them. You got to make sure it's God's dream. Just ask him, he'll let you know. But you can be assured that they're going to have his motives and his heart weaved into him. It took Joseph 13 years from when he was thrown into the pit to become second in charge of all Egypt. And in that time, he had lots of time in the cell block to reconsider, to think about. I tell the men down at DeSoto County every Sunday night, it's like, guys, don't despair because you're in here. This is God's mercy on your life. You could be dead right now. Your life could be over. This is like an adult timeout. That's all this is. Give you to pause to sit and think and reevaluate why you're here. And that's why they're so eager to, because they realize they're at a place in their life. And most of us have to get to that place where we realize, man, I, my plan ain't working. Maybe some of us have got it together so much that we can limp along, but we will never reach God's purpose, God's pinnacle, God's mountaintop, God's design for our life until we get off the throne and let God begin to call the shots. By the time that Joseph's first early dreams began to come true and his brothers did come and bow before him as second in command of all of Egypt, he was a different man. 
Those 13 years of contemplation of, of the humility process that God begins in all who need it because he, he loves you too much to let you stay the way you are. He was a different man. Genesis 50, 20. He said, you intended to harm me. He's talking to his brothers. But God intended it all for good. See, he's not even, he's not even willing or ready to exact punishment on them now that he has the opportunity. I mean, I believe early on he would have said, man, I'm going to get them brothers of mine for throwing me in this pit. But do you see how God begins to soften the heart? He's not holding grudges anymore. He's not holding on to all those things that had made it about him. Now he's looking outwards. He's not so longer inward-minded. He said, you intended it to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position. You see how God did that? He told him one thing, but it seemed like he went in the wrong direction. And most of us are like, oh, I'm not going in that direction. I'm not suffering like that. I'm not going to allow God to work in me no way. I'm going this way. This is the way to the mountaintop. But he went in the opposite direction, you would think. But in doing so, in his suffering, God elevated him. Now, what the Bible says about Jesus? Because he was willing to go to the lowest parts of the earth, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every other name. Some of you are in that season, in your dungeon season, and you're learning, and you're growing there. Don't give up. I believe everything that Pastor David talked about last week, that God gives us dreams, and we will face hard times. God is building character in, her, in us. And we have to stay on the potter's wheel. And we will fulfill our dreams if we'll stay with it. So he said, God intended it all for good. I've come, in other words, I've come to grips with what's happened to me. I didn't get here like I wanted to get here. My life hadn't been what I thought it would be. But I'm glad I got here. Because you intended it for harm, but, but you didn't know you were just pawns in God's hands. And he intended it for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Say, save the lives. See, that's God's heart, saving lives. It sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? John 3, 17 says, For God sent his Son not into the world to condemn the world, just like jo Joseph. He wasn't there to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Say, saved. It sounds like Joseph was feeling like Jesus. Both had grown in their humanity through a process called suffering. Hebrews 5.8 says, Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Think about that. God didn't make it easy on Jesus just because he was his son. He let him endure life just the way we endure life. And he learned obedience the way many of us have to learn obedience. Now, I bet Joseph is probably thinking, I wish I'd have learned the way Jesus did through uh, faithful obedience, through suffering that was for doing good. And most of all, I wish my life would have said, hey, I, all the things I suffered was because I did good. Not so much. All the things I suffered because of all the things I did wrong. Really. But either way, 
through the suffering, if we'll get with God's program, we'll realize he is the architect at work in our lives. And he can turn what the devil meant for harm to our good. Even all the things I did that I ain't proud of, all the things I suffered for, through that, it helped me now in my obedience. Joseph did the same things after this that Jesus came to do. He offered forgiveness to those who didn't deserve it. He saved folks. And he was about building family. You know what Jesus did? He came not counting men's trespasses against them. He came to forgive, not to condemn. He came that we might be saved. That he might build a family. And that's what Joseph is doing at the end. Instead of punishing his brothers, he's saving them from the starvation that they've been living in. And he's building a family. He's bringing them all together. And they begin to live in a land called Goshen, if you study it out. What does John 3.16 say if you go back a verse? For God so loved the world. God so loved the world. Does that mean God loved the things in the world? The ways of the world? What does it mean that God so loved the world? That means God loved the people in the world. You see, when Jesus was here on the earth, he never woke up not one morning without purpose. You know why? You know why that he was full of purpose and destiny? Why he woke up early in the morning? Why he stayed up late at night praying? While he was able to endure what most a schedule most of us would pull our hair out? You know why he was able to be so strong in the face of everything he faced? Because when he looked around, everywhere he saw was faces of purpose. He looked at Dorinda and said, You're why I'm here, Dorinda. Angie. I came to the earth because of you. Bradley, man, I see purpose in you. We're going to discover that together. I'm here to set you free, brother. I'm here for y'all. Every face he looked in, he saw intrinsic self-worth, godly worth in everybody. And so if your life doesn't seem important, you need to think about the way Jesus saw the world. You need to begin to see your family different. You need to see your job experience different. When we were born again, we were not just born into a, a relationship with God and made right with God. Yeah, that's, that's the best part. But we were also born into a family of millions upon millions, billions of brothers and sisters that we can begin relationships and invest in Him. There's an unending flow of God's love to give you the power to wake up every day with this kind of purpose. And the more you love, guess what? The more you will find new love. The more you give out, the more you will get. You will become a conduit. Is if you will begin to see the people on your row there was nobody that Jesus didn't minister to. 
the rich, the poor, the dignitaries, the thieves, the hookers, the scorned, the prominent. He ministered to the sinners, and he ministered to the ones who thought they were righteous that should have been over there with the sinners. There was nobody he wouldn't minister to. He forgave those Roman soldiers who drove nails through his hands and feet and mocked him and spit on him and lifted him up on a cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Oh, no. Is that your heart? Do you have compassion on people? Do you ever see somebody still in your parking spot at Walmart and you say, maybe they need it more than me, instead of getting mad? How does that love work? What good did that do that he forgave them? Well, first of all, I believe it means they were forgiven. He, the Son of God has power to forgive sins on the earth. And you know what else? My Bible says in Matthew 27, 54, that after Jesus said, it is finished, the Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that happened. And they said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Are you living the kind of life that makes such an impact that even after you're dead, people come to save and knowledge of Jesus Christ? You don't think it made a difference for, for them to be laughing and joking and nailing him to a cross like it's no big deal? They've done it a thousand times. It's what they do for a living. The cruelty in their minds, the depravity in which they had sunk to, which we're all capable of if we let our minds go. And we don't fight for our dreams. You don't think it made a difference when they heard him say, Father, forgive them? When they were shown love, when they deserved none? Yeah, I hear you, Pastor. He loved everybody, yeah. But what about them Pharisees? He was always on their case. He didn't love them. He hated them. Well, I don't think so. I don't think he hated anybody. I think he hated what the Pharisees did. I think he hated the fact that they led people away from his grace instead of to his grace where they could be saved. I, I think he hated the fact that they were they were unwillingly or they were willingly working against him the way, the truth, and the life. But I I don't uh, think he hated them. How did that work out? Well, you say he didn't hate them. He, sp he spent a lot of time talking to them. He tried to reason with them. You know, that's what we need to learn to do today. People we don't agree with, instead of just saying negative things about them and calling them all kinds of names and we need to sit down with one another. Jesus sat down with those he didn't agree with, and he communicated out of a heart of love. Now, they didn't receive it all that well, but guess what? Two of them did. At least two of them. Because after he said, it is finished, guess who came and got him down off the cross and made sure his body had a proper burial? 
Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, Pharisees. I thank the Lord for his mercy and grace now that I can see it. I couldn't see it before. I was too blinded by the crowd noises, I guess, by my own purposes. But I thank the Lord now that I see what, that he was love. His love finally reached me. And I thank you, Jesus, for your grace and mercy that forgave me when I didn't deserve forgiveness because which one of us didn't play a part in his crucifixion? We might as well have been the one with the hammer and the nails. Which one of us didn't play religious games like those Pharisees before we came to the truth? Oh, I bargained with God. I thought I could earn my way into his acceptance. I, I played all the religious games when I didn't know him. When I just went what the Pharisees were saying, I was a Pharisee myself. But after his death, when we see him high and lifted up, it says, he shall draw all men to him. When we see the amount of love that would hold him there and suffer how he did for us, we can't, we can't walk away from that unchanged. I mean, I'd heard the story of the cross all my days growing up, and I wanted to serve God, but it just wasn't that important. I was too busy interpreting my own dreams. But somewhere along the line, I got to the end of myself, and I considered the true meaning of the cross, and I listened to the true meaning of the words, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. I saw how he had sat down with me, and he had talked with me when I was against him, and all I wanted to do was call him names and walk off. I didn't know how to communicate, but he kept communicating with me. And he changed my life. And I believe he's changed your lives. See, we all need God's interpretations of the dreams that we have. We don't need our own. We can't trust our own. We want God's results. We need God's interpretation. We need God-centered lives. All of us are called to change the world. Ain't that right, Chandler? Shannon, Zoe, Kaylee, Nicholas, Greg. Aren't we all called to change this world? Not just some little tiny way. We're all carriers of eternal life. We have the words of eternal life. We're light-bearing, love-infused, truth-declarers. You have everything that you need within you to change your world and this world around you if we will just begin to see life as something bigger than self. As long as you're just worried about getting yours, as long as it's get, 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 my four and no more, you will never... Mm, I wish I could hammer this home in, in your head. How it's changed my life. When I begin to see life as something more 
than my crowd noise. <sighs> if you're anxious today about the future, your heart is fluttering. I've been going through some of that. Some of it tries to get on me today, you know. We're living in troubled times. But we got to know in whom we believe. Not just what we believe, we got to know in whom we believe. If you're anxious, if you're afraid, if you're troubled, and you're getting to that place, if you've never been to that place where you've been broken down by God, you got to the end of yourself, you hadn't had one of them yellow jumpsuit moments yet. You, you, I ain't going to say you need to go and get in jail, but if you're worried, if you feel heavy, you're at the right place today. If you're oppressed, depressed, helpless, you feel helpless, I can't do nothing, Lord. I, every time I try, take one step forward, ten steps back. If you feel hopeless, restful, restless, I mean, you need restful. <laughs> but you're restless. How many would be, rather be restful than restless? Maybe... You're just bored. I got to a place I was just bored with life. I was pulling my hair out, wanted to fight everybody, just angry at life. And I had, I was dreading getting up the next day. I was just going through the motions. How many is just going through the motions? You know what? It's not your situation that's causing that. It's not your struggles. It's that you have lost sight of your purpose in the midst of your storm. You forgot that Jesus says we're going to the other side. And you're panicking. You're saying, Jesus, don't you care that we're drowning? You either lost sight of your purpose, or you don't know you had a purpose in the first place. Or you, you had dreams, but you're still interpreting them yourself you're still wanting people to bow down to you you're still living a self-centered life well i've got good news i'm going to show you a scripture that's one sentence long that will change all that if you let it do you believe it see jesus's instructions to us have not changed through all we've been through and all the detours in life that we have taken trying to get to the mountaintop trying to get our to our interpretation of what our life is supposed to mean turn to matthew 419 jesus don't play he says what he means and he means what he says. And he don't say it unless it's true. The moment he says it, it becomes true. And once he says it, he sticks with it. He don't change it. Matthew 4.19, he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Who is he talking to? Those he wanted to become his disciples. Isn't that why you're here today, that you want to become 
Jesus' disciple. So what is your purpose? What is your calling? I can't tell you your specifics. But I can tell you overall, it's going to fit in this sentence. Your part is follow me. Jesus said, follow me. That's your part. Jesus' part, I will make you. And your purpose, fishers of men. Some of us don't want to wait on the Lord. Even when I got saved, boy, I jumped out. I knew I wanted to do great things for God, and I got out way out ahead of God. Sometimes that's worse than lagging behind. We're supposed to walk with God. Our job is just to follow Him. You say, well, what good is that going to do? I, won't, I can't become a fisherman of men if I'm just following Him. No, see, it's in your relationship, getting up in the morning, following Him, reading the Word of God, meditating on it, in your prayer time, every day. It's those three things that I used to talk about. It's live in the Word of God. It's pray without ceasing. The line of communication always open. And it's worshiping with your life. It's presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. Brother Gary shared that with me many years ago. It's always stuck with me. Those three things keep you from backsliding. Keep you following God. It's the basic things you learned in Sunday school. It's out of a sincere heart developing a real relationship with a real living God, not some far-off man in a book. And in following him, then you begin to be like him. In that interaction, in that relationship, you, he begins to rub off on you. and He begins to make you. He gets his hands in your life. And he begins to mold you. And you look up, it's pretty soon you cannot contain this life that you have on the inside of you. And pretty soon, you're reeling people in. His love is causing you to reel people in. His love has made you a fisher. You're casting your testimony over here. You can't hold it in anymore. You're so in love with Jesus, the relationship, the love is flowing you th through you so powerfully that you're this lighthouse and you're drawing people. I want to say like bugs to a flame, but no, that wouldn't. Like bugs to an eternal flame. What's our job? Follow him. Somebody said, that's too simple, Pastor. That's too simple. Maybe you need simple. Maybe your 40-page synopsis has led you astray. Maybe you need to get back to the simple things. It's about you and Jesus. It always has been. It's about your relationship. He will make you. He will lead and guide you into all truth. He will show you things to come. He will be your all and in all. Everything that you need is in Christ. He is the hope of your future, of your glory. 
He is the anchor of your soul. He will sustain you in the boat when the boat is doing this right here. And if you fall out of the boat, he'll help you walk on the water. And if you begin to sink, he will be there to pick you up. You need one thing. Some scriptures come into my mind. Excuse me if I get it wrong. Oh, I can't get it. I can't get it. It's not, not coming. Okay. Something along the lines of this one thing that we're supposed to do is to know him. <sighs> Look at your neighbor. I mean, stare at him. Give him the eye. Look good. Because you know what? They are what's important in your life. Don't get your paycheck out. Don't get your phone. That person, that skeleton wrapped in a sack of skin sitting next to you is what God, God says is important. It's not money. It's not fame. It's not having people bow down to you. It's not early retirement. You know what? It's not having somebody bow down to you, but it's you bowing down to Christ so that the love he gave you, you can give them. It's never been about you at all. How many years did people think that the sun revolved around the earth before they realized it ain't about us? We revolve around the sun. There's a thought. What's the church's role in all this? Well, God uses the church as one of his primary tools in facilitating us reaching our dreams. It's our meeting place, our refueling station. It's where we get our marching orders. It's our launching pad, so to speak. And it's what Jesus is doing on the earth. Church is an integral part. You need the church. You need to see the church as the bride of Christ. You need to be part of the church. So what is our church's what? Did y'all know there was going to be a big reveal here today? That's been sitting up there for a while. God has revealed the who and the how and the why and the where. What is the church's what? Well, I'll give you this hint. It's not unlike your individual what. It's just with a lot more help. A lot more people to help you make sure it gets done. Keep coming. Maybe next Sunday we'll put it in more specifics. But anyway, back to Joseph. Joseph learned to let God give the dreams and the interpretation. We need to just learn to let God. Why do we think we know everything? Is not everything that we have given by God in the first place? Are we omnipotent, all-powerful, 
all-knowing? Can we see the future like he does? He's already living in it. <laughs> Humility. In Genesis 41, 15, Joseph has been in the dungeon for three years, but Pharaoh has a dream, and he's told that there's a guy down at the jail that can interpret dreams. So Pharaoh said to Joseph after he was called in, he said, I had a dream last night, and nobody here can tell me what it means, but I heard that you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. And then humility speaks, a newfound humility in this guy fresh out of the jailhouse. He said, it is beyond my power to do this. How many of you would have liked to have been there, man, all the crowds around the king? And he says to you, I, I hear that you can interpret my dream. I would say, yeah, I sure can. You watch this. <laughs> that would have been the opportunity to have people bow down. But this is not the same Joseph. This is not the same Joseph. He says, it's beyond my power to do this. In other words, I done tried that dream interpreting stuff. It didn't work. But he says, but God can tell you what it means, and he'll set your mind at ease. How many of you know that when you're trying to be in charge of your life, there is no peace in it because you wonder, man, am I messing up? Am I doing this wrong? People are going to laugh at me when I try this and it ain't going to work. And you're afraid of failure. You're afraid of everything. And you get stuck where you don't even try nothing anymore. Because everybody knows you're in charge of your life. But when you begin to give your life to Jesus, and you come to a place of humility and I'm just a servant of the Lord. I'm just glad to be in the house of God. I'm giving him control. Man, if it doesn't work out, that's on him. But it always does. Then your mind can be set at ease. You let God interpret the dreams, okay? You give God the ability to interpret your dreams. Stop trying to interpret your life with your little limited knowledge. God wants your mind at ease. What's your purpose? Look around. They're here in the church with you. They're the ones bad-mouthing you at work. They're your old high school buddies you see in the Kroger, and they duck you and run down the other aisle. Every rattling set of bones in a sack of skin is your purpose. Everywhere you go, you got a purpose. Donna, everywhere she goes, man, she is... She is talking to folks. She is ministering to folks. Many of you, I see y'all doing that. That's what life is about. Doesn't that bring you joy? I don't see you waking up in the morning and saying, I ain't got nothing to do today. She's got a built-in purpose. She's saving up treasures in heaven like crazy. I'm a, I just want to live in the same neighborhood of Donna when I get there. <laughs> You'll never be, you'll never be fulfilled with a self-centered life. It just won't happen. You'll never be content 
You'll always be seeking happiness. Man, if everything, if the weather's just right, and my brother shows up, and this happens, and the, the, the waves ain't too high, and the ski-mobile works just right, man, we're going to have a happy time today. You're looking for those glimpses of happiness, and you're ignoring the joy that could be down in your soul every hour of every day. You're missing the more important things. And that devil's just always got that carrot just outside your reach. And you're reaching to try to get that moment of happiness, that moment of contentment that this world seems to offer but never supplies. Meanwhile, the kingdom of God is already within you. Heaven is now. Everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness and contentment and joy and peace, it's in you now. But you're looking for love in all the wrong places. You're interpreting your own destiny. You were never meant to be able to do that. A self-centered life will eventually either implode or to just succumb to life in the pit. This is the way it is. It's the way it's always going to be. Until you realize that the purpose of your life is all around you. You're love carriers. You're light bearers. You're truth declarers. You have purpose built in everywhere you go. There's someone worth dying for in every sack of skin that you see. Jesus thought so. Why don't we be more like him? They're the object of your purpose. So you can put her off gently if you want to. Barely get to the top of the ramp. Ease into this thing. But I suggest once you find out what God has called you to do, somebody got the sound going. Hit it again for me. Thank you. That's it. That's it. Flip the lid down on your helmet of salvation and get in the game. Rev that thing up. And don't just fly off in the left field, not knowing where you're going, but soar on the wings of eagles. That's God's interpretation for your life. You'll have to figure out your specifics. But I can guarantee you, it includes, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And I think women are included in that too. Well, I don't know where to go from there. That's all I got. Does anybody say amen to those facts? Does anybody feel a, a bigger sense of purpose now than when you got here? You know, when we get here and we're feeling down, and stir yourselves up. When you come to church on Sunday morning, this is your opportunity to be like Donna. I bet Donna's talked to everybody in here. 
this morning, hadn't she? That's why we gave her the little clipboard so she can write your name down. So she's learning names too. We're giving her your phone number. <laughs> you mess with me, I'll tell her where you live. <laughs> If we all had that much joy, how, how better would this life be? How much more quickly could we wrap this thing up and go on and all be in heaven together? You know, that's all that, that God's waiting for is the fullness of the Gentiles to come to salvation. He's long-suffering and patient, not willing that any should perish. He's just waiting on the harvest to come in. And Jesus says, look up, for the fields are white to harvest. What you waiting on? Don't say there's four months till the harvest. The fields are white right now. And nobody's, oh, there's the pastor. He's telling me, you know, i got to learn how to, hello, we're in the neighborhood, and we're here to lead you to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ from the King James Version of the Bible. I'm not telling you to come be canned. I'm telling you to so let your light shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I'm telling you to be, have the feet of a preacher, man. How glorious, how beautiful are the feet of those who spread the good news. You have good news. Just tell somebody. Share your testimony. Share what you have. Just care. When you see somebody, don't just see them as somebody in front of you in line. I wish they would hurry up and go on. No, wait a minute, that's somebody Jesus died for. Let me begin to have a, eyes of empathy. Let me see them the way Jesus would see them because that would be Jesus' purpose at the moment. Not paying for this little nutty buddy you just bought. But he would begin to find purpose everywhere he went, every person, the woman at the well, every situation. There's purpose in it for you. Wherever somebody is, there's purpose in it for you. So learn to smile. Learn to share. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.